From yesterday's innovations to tomorrow's technologies, this is MarketScale's EdTech Today with your host, Kevin Hogan. Okay, hello, and welcome to the latest episode. Uh, with me today is Jennifer Carlson. Jennifer serves as Executive Director of the Washington Technology Industry Association Workforce Institute. It's a mouthful. It's the longest name in history. <laughs> the WTIA, as we'll, we'll call it from now on. Uh, the Institute is the workforce development arm of the WTIA, focused on addressing the tech industry's workforce and diversity needs through building a nationally registered technology apprenticeship program called Apprenti. Additionally, Jen serves on the Tech Councils of North America, the workforce board for them, and she's also an adjunct professor in graduate studies at Seattle University. Jen, thanks for, for joining me here today on Remote Possibilities. Now that I've heard you say it, I'm going to have to really shorten that up. <laughs> you can tighten it up, right? But the WTIA, WTIA works pretty well. So, um, you know, I, I have a description here of Apprenti, but I think maybe it's better coming from you uh, yourself. Tell us a little bit about the program. Uh, and it says here it was started in October 2016. So that is what I call BP before the pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> so we yeah. can have a little bit, uh, what, one of the many reasons I was uh, happy to have you on is because um, the work that you do is independent of the madness we're currently in, but nevertheless, there needs to be a context to it. And I think we'll get into it a little bit later, but maybe that the pandemic in some ways was an accelerant for some of the work. So start us off with a little bit of a description of uh, Apprenti and when it began. Well, simply put, it's it's tech apprenticeship. It's apprenticeship in the way we think of the building and construction trades. We've now taken the European and Asian versions of those models that have existed for 50 years in our sector and applied them in the United States. So it's a hybrid classroom and on-the-job training where companies sponsor folks from non-traditional backgrounds, meaning they didn't come through the traditional university system, they didn't come from STEM education necessarily, they may not have even gone to college, but we're accelerating the training process and putting them into hard to fill middle skill tech jobs um, to help kind of close the gap both on the tech workforce and on diversity, since we focus on attracting women, veterans, and underrepresented minorities for the roles. Interesting. So, well, give me a little bit of context. Is there a certain age group that's involved here? 18 and over. Youngest person we've placed is 18. Eldest is 63. Wow. So, yeah. So it, it's in all ages and apprenticeship, unlike what we think of in our industry as internships, that's usually tied to college. You're in credit bearing classes when you're taking your internships. Apprenticeship is an all ages scenario where we can take people and retrain them from other sectors. Uh, and other backgrounds who already have work experience and valuable skills just didn't come from tech mm. and move them into tech roles, which is why we can pull them at any age. Um, and they sponsor and the median age in our program is 33. Interesting. Okay. So it's really yeah. uh, both a, a lifelong learning sort of uh, opportunity uh, as well as um, job placement. The thing that uh, I was astounded by was the, uh, the apprentice uh, earned over $76,000 when they're hired. And some of yeah. these companies include Amazon, Microsoft, Blue Cross, Liberty Mutual, JP Morgan Chase. Yep. I know my first uh, internship outside of college was paid exactly zero. <laughs> so, paid nothing. Right. So, my first couple of jobs. 
so the idea that uh, folks can go in and, and, and actually have a really nice uh, salary going into the program is uh, a huge positive. Talk a little bit about how you've been able to construct that. Well, I think that, uh, you know, this, this is a thesis we had coming into this, that we could take people from other backgrounds and retrain them for our sector. Um, and, and what this is proving is uh, both a combination of economic mobility and taking people who have an appetite to learn and may have great competency and skills um, and the ability, but aren't looking to go back to college if they went to college and start over to get a requisite degree or may not have finished college because college is not for everybody, mm -hmm. uh, but have the, the ability. I mean, it's really about, you know, how hungry are you to learn it? Um, and so, you know, we've got uh, the, the median wage coming into the program, meaning people who were, you know, out working before they got to us uh, was in the high 30s. So I would put these people in the um, underemployed category, but 29% mm -hmm. of them were unemployed. Okay. Okay. In. Um, and, and so, you know, like, I think my number one jobs coming in is military. So they're separating from the military and coming in. My number two job is Uber driver. Mm. So these are folks who have done some college, have maybe tried some stuff online for tech, um, have, have done something that has said, I think I can do this. They just need a different way in and not to start over. Right. Um, and, and so they're retraining, they come in. They're getting sponsored in the mid to high 50s on average for their apprenticeship term. Um, so while they're doing their year on the job to learn the skills and we compress the classroom time at the beginning, but the employer has already agreed to sponsor them at that point. They know they have a job waiting for them um, that's gonna pay them for that year. And then that number you were citing in the high 70s is the retained wage. So you know, if apprenticeship is try before you buy, apprenticeship is trained to retain. Got so it. companies are cultivating you because this is a job I have to fill and I'm investing and building you to a level that I can keep you. Gotcha. Talk a little bit about the recruitment and the, the application process. How are you finding folks? So uh, the great news is we've done a great job both with PR teams and social media to message the fact that we are looking for women underrepresented minorities in tech and vets. And so 85% of my candidate pool come from those populations, the, the folks that we know are underrepresented, therefore the products and services that our industry is creating isn't necessarily reflective of the consumer. Um, and companies are trying to, even pre this year and all that has transpired, making commitments to, to try and improve diversity hiring in this area. And, and unfortunately, if we just keep going the traditional college ranks, we won't get there. Um, and so apprenticeship creates an alternate and parallel pathway to kind of build that talent. Um, so when we go into a market, we work with community-based organizations, community colleges um, to try and attract those folks. They come in and take a basic skills assessment online um, that is focused on math, logic, and critical thinking and emotional intelligence. They're not writing a line of code. It's do you have the basic core skills? Um, and it's, it's not short. It's a two and a half, three hour assessment. Um, and, and that's going to give us a baseline of where you are. And then it's a kind of qualitative and quantitative. So from there, we do a series of interviews and the employer gets to interview and do a final say, but they're really looking at soft skills at that point. Not again, not whiteboarding. Interesting. So it kind of takes away the, uh, the traditional resume. Yep. It takes away some of the other traditional assessment 
metrics that, um, you know, especially when you look at say an SAT score or right. an ACT score that had all those inherent um, disadvantages uh, that skewed people's perceptions in the wrong way when they were assessing a person, right? Right. It, it, it's interesting. We, we did a, a huge subset of companies and asked them to kind of weigh in with what are those core competencies that are required? Like, let's break it down. They don't have to write algorithms in their heads for these software development, cloud administration, data analytics jobs. So yeah. what is the level that you need? And it turned out to be algebra and geometry. Hmm. Like, okay, great. So let's focus on that. And there are some subsets to that. And then on the other side, we talked with community-based organizations that are focused on, on these underrepresented minorities and said, what are the barriers to entry? What are the pain points for getting in? And, and we kind of had to bring the two sides together and say, you know, you're going to have to, as companies move this way, you on this side of the table are going to have to recognize that we can't create a job for everybody. This isn't perfect for everybody. There's still math and logic and critical thinking that have to go on there, but let's marry the two together. And so the companies don't get that resume. Um, we don't even give them a name. We give them initials to eliminate the bias. They get to see how they performed on the assessment. And then we give them from our interview process some core skills and competencies they're bringing to the table. This person happens to be bilingual. We won't say the language because we want them to engage in the interview process to, to probe for that and, and see what they're bringing to the table. Uh, great example is, uh, you know, a, a Burger King manager. We don't tell them that they managed fast food. We say this person has skills, hiring, firing, managing supply chain, doing payroll, things that are skills companies see value in, but if you put it through the lens that they had it, the company would disqualify it. By only seeing the skill sets, the company goes, oh, oh, well, that's great. Those are great skills. And now it kind of removes the bias from the process and gives the company a different way of looking at the candidates. That's fascinating, that's fascinating. Yeah. So as I said, I didn't want to talk about it too much, but um, we are in DP during the pandemic and <laughs> yeah. everything that we say and do, uh, you know, has that in, in context. Uh, one of the uh, million weird things about this whole situation, um, there are some industries um, that are not only surviving, but thriving and uh, tech workers and remote working, remote mm -hmm. learning. Um, has obviously been caused, you know, this is an accelerant for that. Talk a little bit about how your program, I mean, has it thrived in a weird way during all this? Well, I, I would say uh, we maintained during this year of COVID. Um, the good news is the outcome is we've got huge orders for next year. So companies kind of spent this year gyrating on what's this mean for my business, mm -hmm. um, you know, contracting a little bit to be conservative and then going, okay, we've stabilized. Even if this continues into a round two, we know what to expect. Now we know what we need to support the business. We can grow next year. Um, so that's where we are. Did, um, did the apprenticeships uh, continue um, remotely? And, they do. and what was we that transition like? Yeah, we didn't lose any apprentices during COVID, thankfully. So uh, they punted commitments in a few cases that hadn't started yet, but any that were in, any that were already in training went, went to job, companies kept them. It, it was different moving all the classroom training to synchronous online um, to get them technically up to skill. 
And then companies, uh, I think I saw a great Wall Street Journal article in August about the honeymoon being over on the remote worker. Um, The onboarding of apprentices, almost a canary in the coal mine, Mm. uh, is that the apprentices already come into a company feeling a little bit less than because they didn't come through the traditional means. So there's a little bit of imposter syndrome Mm. that we work with the apprentices on. Um, but they're in a team environment so they can work through it more quickly. That's not easy to do here. Right. <laughs> I can't right. turn to the person on my left and say, hey, where do I find that file? How do I do this thing? Which directory do I use? Yeah. Right. So um, that has been a challenge that we've had to work through with companies. The good news in that canary scenario is that companies have started to figure out that that same onboarding problem exists for 10 year seasoned professionals coming in new. Um, and they're having to figure out how to onboard those people, communicate differently, project manage differently. Um, and so, you know, that's, that, there's ubiquity to that and yeah. companies are having to work through it. Talk a little bit about the onboarding process with the apprentices. I mean, I'll, I'm going to assume here with my bias that there needs to be some sort of cultural introductions to a place like, well, I'll just say I would need an introduction to J.P. Morgan Chase and how to work there and how to behave and the idea of what a corporate culture is. You know, the same with Microsoft or the same with Blue Cross Blue Shield. Talk a little bit about how in this remote setup uh, you're able to accomplish that if they're not going yeah. into an office, right? Right, because they're not going into an office. Um, so, you know, when we first started this, it wasn't a requirement for companies to engage with them while they were in classroom. Uh, the companies, unlike the way traditional, I won't say normal, traditional apprenticeships work is they go classroom and on the job at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they'll do classroom one day or a part of a day and then on the job the rest of the time every week. In tech, we're having to compress the classroom time to 16 to 20 weeks, 40 hours a week. So they're already having to figure out in classroom how to do their group projects and capstones this way instead of sitting across the table. So they're learning how to work in a team environment already Mm. remote. Um, And when we very first started, we didn't require companies to engage. And we had a couple of companies who were like, call me when they're ready. Uh, And a couple of companies were like, can I talk to them while they're in classroom? (laughs) And of course, as you can imagine, the companies that engaged with the classroom environment had a much better transition of the apprentice going to work because they already knew who the mentor was that's the part that has become ingrained and critical for everybody. Um, So getting the company involved early in the process to meet with the person, getting them to meet the teams they'll be on, work with their manager before they get to job makes that transition easier. Okay. And so you, you mentioned that the program is 16 to 20 weeks long. Classroom. For the classroom. Okay. And then they go to job for one year. For one year. All right. And at the end of that year, let's talk a little bit about, um, is there any sort of assessment that happens with the apprentices during the program? And if so, is it kind of, is it merit-based or is it, talk a little bit about how you um, credential. Yeah. So it's a hybrid model of time and um, competency. Um, There, there are three kinds of apprenticeship models in the U S competency only, which it looks more like an internship. Um, time, uh, time-based is what you see in the trades where they say, you know, it takes you 8,000 hours to become an electrician. 
Um, so it's purely time-based with a test at the end. Um, this one is hybrid. So 2,000 hours in the U.S. is the minimum term of apprenticeship. So one year, throw their two weeks of vacation on it, 2,080 hours. Um, and the certification that they get is in the classroom. For everything other than software developer, they're usually getting an industry-recognized cert. What platform are you on? AWS, Azure, uh, you know, are you taking CompTIA certifications? Um, you know, Network Plus, C Plus, Cyber Plus, those kinds of things. Those are resume builders. Companies know how to consume those. They're verifiable. Um, don't need to recreate the training for something that already exists that the industry created. Um, the outset of that, uh, and we do the, I think I said capstone for software development. Once they're on the job, there are milestones for evaluation. Are they meeting company expectation? It's take the, uh, uh, their annual eval and do it multiple times during the year. Mm -hmm. So the management of expectations and the companies we've worked with the companies to create um, kind of a, a baseline assessment that starts at the beginning of their apprenticeship. And that that is the same then for everybody in that role at that company. And then it evolves over the course of the year based on how that person performs. And they can get that constant feedback of doing great in this, struggling in this, let's get some additional focus on that item. And that helps them understand what they need to do to be retained at the end. Okay. Um, and that's, that's the retention is the graduation. Did you get retained? Um, retention doesn't have to be with the company. It can be with any company and staying in the sector. So 88% of them stay with the company. Um, wow. An additional 66 or 6% go to industry um, in the same kind of job and are hired somewhere else. So that means clearly they understood what they learned and could right. demonstrate to somebody else. That's an extraordinarily high yeah. rate of free hire. Companies are making an investment in that person. They want that person to succeed because they're creating a body to fill that void that they needed to fill. Right. So the opportunities are there. Yeah. 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 Companies have to change the mindset from only consuming talent and poaching from each other to creating talent and cultivating. It's kind of like the minor leagues in baseball. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they, the apprenticeship is the triple A. Yeah. And the classroom is double A. Yeah. Talk a little bit about um, going forward. Is this something you anticipate or you could see scaling to where this is? I mean, this sounds pretty progressive to me and pretty innovative. Uh, is it something that can scale to become the kind of a, the new normal? Maybe when we get back to a new normal? That's the goal. I mean, the, the government has been investing in this now for close to five years. Um, in non-traditional sectors, even beyond tech, it's healthcare and other areas as well, even hospitality. Um, the goal is, you know, if you look at what we graduate at a four-year level in the United States, comp sci degrees, um, it's only 75,000 people at the four-year wow. We We created 300,000 jobs last year, net new. <laughs> like, it doesn't scale, can't meet. The hundreds of millions of dollars we would have to invest across states in the college system to meet the need isn't going to happen. And we're clearly not going to see an increase in visas from, right. you know, 85,000 of which tech consumes 60. So okay. we, we got to close the gap another way. Yeah. So, yeah. The goal of apprenticeship is to create a, a holistic system 
um, that crosses state lines and industry sectors. The job of a software developer in Java looks the same at J.P. Morgan Chase as it does at, at Amazon. So we want to make people who are consumable across industries and sectors uh, and state lines. So the goal of this is to be a national platform and that we get companies comfortable with creating jobs that say college degree or completion of apprenticeship. Interesting, interesting. Well, Jen, your work is uh, fascinating and, and hugely important. And uh, I think our audience really took a lot of insight uh, from you uh, that hopefully we can apply and get more apprentices out there and working, uh, especially once we get through uh, and get into the uh, to the AP to the after pandemic. So, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, I appreciate it. <laughs>